What is going on, guys? This is Brendan Burns, and welcome to The Brendan Burns Show. Join me as I interview, dissect, and share the stories of high performers who have created the life that they deserve on their terms. I sit down with speakers, professional athletes, and successful entrepreneurs from all over the world who have chosen to live a life of fulfillment and joy over status and money. In each episode, I share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life, plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. What's going on, guys? Brendan here with published author, Harvard grad, Greg Roberts. I'm going to give a quick intro, but first, Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brandon. Great to be here. Yes, running smoothly. They don't know about the technical difficulties. They're <laughs> like, oh, these guys are killing it. No idea what behind the scenes there, right? Yeah. So, Greg Roberts, so excited to have you here. Uh, first entered the wellness business, working his way through college within the health and fitness industry in Southern California. He's appeared on NBC, CNN, the E Channel as a guest for various news shows. Greg also co-founded the Blue Velvet Boxing Club, which we talked about last time we met up, an award-winning exclusive boxing gym catering to celebrities, elites, and Wall Street executives located in the Flatiron District of NYC, where I used to live, by the way. Greg has enjoyed uh, serving on a variety of different boards, including Stand Together, Make a Difference, a non-for-profit coalition whose aim is to prevent substance abuse and addiction through education and awareness. He's also a mentor for at-risk youth teenagers through Pathways Danbury, received his BA from University of California, Santa Barbara, attended the OPM program at Harvard Business School, graduate of the Institute for Integrative Nutrition in New York City. He's actively involved in the health and wellness field, which we'll be talking more about today, enjoys boxing workouts, playing tennis, hiking, is the father of three children, and just last week or very recently got married. Greg Roberts, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Brandon. So, Greg, you, you did just get married, right? I did, about six weeks ago now. Okay, not last week. I remember when we were talking, you were just about to get married. Time does fly, but it's only been six weeks. Nice, nice. Well, Greg, so excited to have you here. Um, we're going live in the group right now, and I'm sure we're going to have questions coming up, but I would like to just pass the baton over to you. We said, we've talked a few times now, you said why wellness matters would be a great title for this conversation. How did you get to that, I, that name for conversations when people interview you? Well, the more I delve into wellness and what's going on in large as far as our healthcare system goes and just the, the sickness or lack of health of our society right now, I feel like you know, well-being is just a concept uh, people need to take more seriously embracing. I think a lot of people, it means different things to different people, but um, it's a, it can be a very positive thing if we learn how to embrace it. And really, I think in 2018, where we're at now, we almost have to because it affects more than just our health. It affects our pocketbooks more than ever now. Mm -hmm. It's a different ecosystem um, than it was for our parents or our grandparents that could take things for granted that, you know, you just knew you're going to be covered. It was, wasn't really for, for most of us. It didn't really kind of, um, you know, you just, it was a box. You just checked, you had insurance, you went to the doctor and we don't live in that world anymore. And you know, the numbers are pretty crazy as far as just how much sickness is really um, driving that, you know, we are just becoming a very, very sick 
uh, country and it's, it's staggering. So I, I think it's just something that we really must have and must take seriously for ourselves and our loved ones because when we get sick, it doesn't just affect ourselves, it affects those around us. And you know, the whole economic impact is just you know, more and more severe. As you and I discussed last week, it's, you know, it's the number one cause of bankruptcy right now in the United States uh, is medical costs. And just a couple of days ago, um, another article came out, I think it was in the Times, that shows that um, even people with fully insured plans are experiencing you know, financial catastrophe. So it, it's something we just have to kind of get ahead of. And the great news is that there's so much we can do to get on the right side of, of um, you know, prevention. And it doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean we're not going to get sick. But it certainly means that there's a lot we can do to keep ourselves in a, in a you know, healthier state than many of us uh, might be in. Mm. And what do you think happened in our society, in our country over the past few generations that got us here? Because I know that, you know, there have been problems with our parents' generation, grandparents' generation, but it seems like this is an epidemic that has come on in the last couple of decades. And I'm curious your thoughts on why that is and why this is a newer and recent trend. Yeah, it's, it's a great question and an important one. Um, and I think it has to do with two primary reasons. And there's, there's other reasons as well. But the two primary reasons, Brandon, are um, the food supply that our parents and grandparents were able to experience was just pure. It was, you know, it was more local farms. You didn't have big agri in there pumping foods full of hormones and with all the pesticides. Um, we just had, you know, the flowers, especially around the breads weren't as processed and refined. You know, we could eat breads as a kid that weren't full of all kinds of preservatives. So as, as big food and big agra <clears throat> learned about ways to be more efficient and get things in boxes and cans more for our convenience, nutrition was stripped away. So, you know, and bread, like I said, is a great example. You know, our, our pastas, people have pastas not that bad. Italians eat it. Well, the pastas of 40, 50 years ago wasn't bad because they actually used real flour more back then. But the mass-produced pasta they make today isn't the same, you know, core ingredient of flour. It's just a stripped-down, refined, really devoid of a lot of nutrition. So just the access to food, the healthier foods, as we probably know, we didn't really have farm-raised fish. We didn't have, uh, you didn't have to hear a concept, free-range chicken, because they were all free-range. It wasn't until they started getting caged and, you know, <clears throat> big food got a hold of it and big agra, and they just, you know, uh, stuff them into little cages that they're raised in very inhumane, unhealthy ways. So the food supply is bigger. <clears throat> Number two is our um, increasingly sedentary lifestyles, right? I mean, yeah. think about our parents or certainly our grandparents. I mean, the stories of walking to school, walking to, you know, right now we're on our just electronics so much. We're just, you know, on our backsides all the time. And so you really have to be more concerted for, um, especially people out in, in suburbs, um, you know, they're going from house, sedentary house, sedentary in a car into a, wherever they're going. It's just a lot of sitting. And that is contributing to a lot of our um, you know, the obesity epidemic we see, you know, obesity numbers right there. I mean, it, it's more than doubled in the last 20 years, right? We're up to like 37% right now of our country is obese. Um, over 70% of our, of our country is overweight or obese. And, you know, these numbers are, are continuing to go up. It's, it's pretty staggering. It's, it's unbelievable. I know there are some states 
it, particularly in the south of the United States, where obesity levels are approaching 50%. Yep. They and are. It's, like, it's like one in two people is not overweight, but obese. I don't want to name out states, but uh, they know, <laughs> you know, there really are between 40 and 50% obesity rates. When we know obesity is one of the primary precursors to, you know, many chronic illnesses like diabetes or hypertension. And, um, you know, th this kind of stuff just has a devastating effect. So people like to blame, I think a lot of the misconception out there, and I don't like to take a position, you know, anti or pro insurance companies, but I think the insurance companies can get um, a bit unfairly blamed, although they do bear a role and responsibility. They're not innocent, certainly, in my opinion, but, but they're reactionary. They react to claims. So the sicker we become, they have to be covered. Right. Uh, it has to be money sitting in the kitty in the pot to cover. Um, and as we get sicker, there's just more events. You know, the healthcare has system, medical care system has never been more overburdened. You know, you just go into any hospital or urgent care. I mean, it's just, it, it's the, the waits are getting longer. There's more sick people. And there's a reason for that. It just didn't almost, we didn't just wake up one day in this state. Um, and when you really start pouring into the data around it, it's just, it's just wild. And so, <laughs> That's really where um, my journey began as I began to look into um, you know, self-preservation. I wanted to take better care of myself with two parents that were cancer survivors. Um, and that led to just pouring into research and going back to school and then wanting to write the book. And, and the data with just every layer of the onion I peeled was more alarming, more I, but again, like, as you know, Brent, I like to emphasize the, the positive side. So, Many of us who have gone on a wellness journey, rarely sick. And that wasn't the case always. That just was not by, by accident. And I don't like to, doesn't mean we're not going to get sick. Doesn't mean that, you know, you hear about the uncle who is the marathon runner who, you know, has a heart attack. There's always going to be those exceptions. And I certainly don't put myself on a pedestal in any way. Um, right. It's really just a more mindful approach to um, taking better care of ourselves, mind, body, and soul. It's just not, uh, it's not just the body. Yeah, no, it's, I, I appreciate you saying that also, because on the one hand, I, I love my own wellness journey of so rarely if ever getting sick. And if it's like, I feel anything coming on, I blast like five green teas, ginger juice, everything. And I just like, don't get sick anymore. And it's amazing. But then there's also the famous joke by Les Brown, who said he was, he was about to eat peanut M&Ms one time. And he's like, nah, I shouldn't. He's like, wait a minute, my friend Dave was 30 and got hit by a truck in perfect health. <laughs> so funny story to share. But I want to go back to what you said earlier. You said two of the primary causes of this transition and how we behave as humans and the way we move and eat are on the one hand, the lack of nutritional foods. And you mentioned the flour and pastas. And on the other hand, you mentioned the lack the, or the more sedentary lifestyles that we're now living. So what advice would you give to people? We have a lot of people watching today and who are going to listen to this after the recording who are online entrepreneurs, who are small business owners, who are working in corporate America. And it's like, here's $15 for your online delivery or come out to this work dinner or you know how it works. If you don't go out of your way to do it on your own terms, if you've just followed the system that's been built, you're not going to move your body and you're not going to eat healthy stuff. So what advice do you give people to sort of take ownership of both body movement and putting the right stuff into their body so that they can, we can try to correct this? Well, uh, great question. And firstly, what we do is really try to meet the, the individual where they're at and understanding their lifestyle. So you give a different 
a couple of examples of corporate and entrepreneur and depending on where someone's at and, and what kind of lifestyle they, they have is where we start. So for example, if someone is in the corporate space and they're at a desk eight hours a day, you know, we encourage people to get up every couple hours and take a walk around the block. Um, make sure you find a, a, the key. I think with sustainable fitness is and movement is finding something you like. So I don't tell this to someone who likes to to run to swim or vice versa. Um, entrepreneurs, you know, I'm one. We we have a challenge of we can get just stuck behind screens for hours. We've all been there. I, sometimes I sat down at my desk and geez, five hours went by. I didn't get up. Like yeah. what? Some people set alarms for that now. You know, there's all kinds of apps to just get up once a once an hour. Um, I saw a doctor who uh, was talking about what he does. I, I love this. So every hour he gets up and he allocates five minutes of calisthenics. He just moves. He does jumping jacks, push-ups, sit-ups. And these days, unless you're in you know some stodgy uh, bank or you know whatever, I don't want to pick on a profession that you know would be a little awkward to get up and start doing jumping jacks. Um, I think you know more and more people are probably doing that. And it's just it's just moving. It's just getting up and taking a walk. I mean, it's you're in a high rise. Go walking the stairs. Stairs are a great form of exercise. Do yeah. ten floors up, ten floors back. Um, do that a couple times a day. But the movement. So of all the areas of wellness that we focus on, the least controversial is exercise and movement. There's such universal agreement amongst the professionals. You know, mm. the amount of studies that come out of Harvard or Mayo or or John Hopkins or Cleveland that back up um, the, the evidence around exercise. And what it is, is 150 minutes a week of exercise. And it can be broken down however we want. It doesn't have to be, you know, three sessions of 50 minutes. It doesn't have to be five sessions of 30. Whatever works for our lifestyle. So it's not a tremendous amount. And it's recommended 30 minutes out of that 150 minutes should be some form of strength training. Mm. So a lot of people... Um, you know, might just do cardio, might just be walking or, or running or uh, swimming or whatever, but they, they, you do need some strength training in there because as we age, you know, unfortunately, mm -hmm. just the reality of biology that our muscles um, atrophy. And it just mm -hmm. means they sort of gradually deteriorate. So what do we want to do? We want to counter that. And that's why you'll see these guys, people in their 70s and 80s swimming the English Channel or doing Ironmans because they just kept up with it. They never really stopped. Um, and so we all have that opportunity. It's just the consistency and the routine is what's hardest for most people, especially the entrepreneur and the, with your schedules in flux and you're all over the place. Um, discipline is, is the hardest thing. So we try to get people to look at what the risks are for not doing that, looking ahead. Um, we all appreciate it's challenging, we have the busyness of life, but it's kind of a question of kind of prioritizing. And, you know, we have a saying about, Without all our clients, we want to add years to your life, but life to your years. So we're not about just helping someone live to 100 years of age. If the last 10 are, you know, they're hooked up to oxygen tanks and, uh, you know, on 20 different medications. We want right. them to quality of life. Mm, yeah, that's so well said. So, and then on the food side, I know that we have a lot of, uh, in the last 10 years, especially a lot of literature that's debunked a lot of myths around the low fat diet and around sugar and around all these things. So I think people to some degree kind of know more about what's good and what's not good. But what are the core mistakes you're seeing people make in terms of their eating habits? I know you mentioned 
um, excessive carbs and very low quality flour going into pastas, for example. But if you had to just kind of look at society or look at kind of what people are eating and putting into their bodies, what would you say today in 2019 are the big sort of mistakes? You'd be like, nope, do this, not that. Unquestionably, I would say it comes down to, and I, I, because there's so much out there around the, uh, the, you know, the concept of nutrition, and it can be so confusing, like you've just mentioned, these areas that are debated, and you can just, whatever you put out there, I mean, there's people who argue for protein against protein, as you, low carbs, high carbs, fats, no fats, it, it just gets on. And one thing we're huge believers in is distilling it down to the most simple to understand, so it can be executed. I love your, uh, your sign behind you, execution. So we can execute on something that's very doable and, and works for our lifestyle. So processed foods, in my opinion, and many others and are probably the biggest ill out there, probably the biggest detriment to our health because it's disguised in so many ways. What, what is processed foods? For most people, I'm sure aware, but just a quick recap. Processed foods are anything that are altered from their natural state. You know, so you look at, uh, you know, you have anything in a box that has basically more than one or two ingredients. You know, if you have, if it's more than, you know, like tuna fish, for example, that's not really a process. That would be described as minimally processed, but we're not talking about minimally processed. We're talking about processed, the chips, the breads, right. the muffins, even, you know, I won't name some of the staple foods that we really like, but when you get into processed foods these days, um, that boxed and canned stuff, that stuff that's fast, it's really not even food. So many nutritionists would refer to it as food-like substances. So when you go to a supermarket, the average supermarket um, in America does not sell mostly food. It's food-like substances. Another term people use would be frankenfoods because it's, you just picture a laboratory. Right. These are laboratory created foods. And it's a lot of, you know, not even a big secret anymore. You know, I, I know um, professors at, uh, at universities who get hired by the food companies to, hey, how can we make it as tasty as possible and have these amount of calories and it's just pick your test tubes. Okay, let's try adding a little of this and there's you know, now over 60 ways to disguise sugar and call it sugar. So when you're talking processed food, it's, it's even when it says fortified with this and fortified with that, you're missing, your body's not able to assimilate, you're not getting the vitamins and the nutrients that we need. So by far the biggest culprit out there when it comes to food is those processed. I mean, Whole Foods uh, is really the, you know, the supermarket chain that, that, has, that bears that name. It's, it's really, it's a great name. They're very fortunate to have that because that really describes what we want to be going for, Whole Foods. And there's so many of them. It's just all those fruits, vegetables, grains that are not altered. Now, of course, there's exceptions to the rule, you know, when I get into minimally processed, a lot of that stuff can be fine. You know, a, a can of garbanzo beans is minimally processed, but it's just beans, salt, and water. Uh, but as the old saying goes, there's, if you have to read the ingredients of the uh, food you're buying, you probably shouldn't be buying it. Unless you completely understand, that's an old one we, we know. You know, if you can't understand a lot of, you know, any of the ingredients on there, probably don't. Of course, there are exceptions. There are these multisyllabic names for foods that are okay. They're not all terrible. But um, just sticking to whole, simple foods is, and that's what I refer to in my book as rocket fuel foods. And you're eating these foods that are these whole grains, these produces, you know, the lettuces and all the dark leafy greens, and you're getting just these powerful immune boosting, immune system boosting 
foods that just, if for those of us that have tried juicing or like, you know, you say when you feel cold coming on, you blast it with green tea or in my book, I mentioned there's a, a, a clinical nutritionist up at Mount Sinai who said that he thinks that the healthiest drink we can put on our body is green tea. You know, he, he very well may be right. In water, green tea, I mean, it's, you know, some of these matcha green teas are just loaded with all kinds of great antioxidants and phytonutrients. And, um, you know, you look at some of the societies that drink a lot of green tea, like the Japanese, it's no secret, they have one of the highest longevity in the world. So, um, you know, just sticking to, to those foods that bring us benefit, you know, you know, one thing, Brendan, I like to tell people to look at their, their food and food choices as a, you know, a checking account, you know, you have your deposits and your withdrawals. When you look at a plate of food, that food is either going to be a deposit, a net deposit or a net withdrawal. And it's okay to have some net withdrawals around the holidays. I tell people not to beat themselves up. They want that piece of pie or cake. This is not an all or nothing affair. And we have to enjoy this and a little moderation is good. But people that argue against that, oh, you gotta be perfect, you need to be vegan, you need to be, no. Evidence does not show that, you know. Um, so it's fine to have a little bit of, uh, you know, have those guilty pleasures once in a while without feeling guilty, you know, without feeling bad about it. Yeah, no, it's so important because I think that sometimes when you are too strict on yourself and then you have a cheat meal or you indulge or something, you then can get off the bandwagon and then fall off or you can beat yourself up. And so, so allowing that, yeah, that's great. Um, now, what are you, what are your thoughts in terms of, there's obviously a lot of debate about meat, you know, meat versus not eating meat. And then there's also the vegetarian versus vegan, um, in, in terms of healthy, not necessarily in terms of like the envi- uh, environmental protection or that's your mission, but in terms of street, I just want to be the healthiest person I can. What are your thoughts on eating red meat, white meat, fish, and then in, and then even I guess the dairy or and whatever else separates vegetarian from vegan? Yeah, and for for all of that, it mostly comes down to the quality, right? right. It's hard to get high quality uh, chicken, high quality dairy, higher quality red meat. If I know it's um, you know, for example, red meat. Let's just take that's kind of in a separate category for me as far as and a lot of people in wellness. Um, there are risks eating too much red meat. I think a little in, in uh, moderation is fine. For me, if I'm going to eat red meat, it's going to be, again, if I know it's grass-fed, no hormones, I want it to be from a source that has been fed something, that has been fed nothing that is going to have a negative effect on me possibly. So that's red meat. The white meats, I think, are fine. You know, chicken and tuna and the fishes, you know, so long as we're, um, you know, we're checking the sources on that and not these big factory raised chickens that are, you know, being pumped full of every hormone and steroid you can imagine. Um, I think it, it's good to have a little meat, but again, not for everybody. Look, the vegans out there, I think if you're an informed vegan, I, I use that term very carefully because um, you have to be a little more conscientious of your diet to make sure you're getting enough calcium or vitamin B12 or protein to be a vegan. But if you're a, an informed vegan and really knows what you're doing, look, you know, um, that can be very healthy because they're just going to be a little more um, careful about what they put in their body. Is it a, you know, fail safe method? No, I know a lot of miserable vegans. I know a lot of happy vegans. It, it just really depends on the individual there. And it's a very disciplined, to be a uh, vegan, you need to be very disciplined. Um, I have a lot of respect. I, uh, I couldn't do that, I don't think, but I have a lot of respect for the people that, that can. 
Um, and just being vegan doesn't mean you're healthy because vegans can eat all kinds of crazy processed foods. So some vegans I know actually ate unhealthily because they compensated with a lot of these um, junky processed foods. I mean, you know, there's plenty of, of sugar is adheres to the vegan diet. You can eat all the sugar yeah. you want in a vegan diet. Yeah. And sugar is, is now being known as one of the primary culprits out there for, you know, some of the, you know, health ills we have. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I always used to joke that uh, you can be a vegetarian and have a pizza and Coke every meal. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and adhering to the vegetarian lifestyle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's really helpful. Now, in terms of um, your book, Progress Over Perfection, uh, what was the genesis, genesis of that book? And what are sort of the core tenets that you explore there? Genesis of that book was, again, really just exploring my own, I, I think, coming to a place in life where I had a big life um, altering, you know, went through a, a divorce and I had three young kids at the time. And that realization suddenly that, wow, you know, I've got three little kids and then became a primary parent um, there. And I just, you know, the whole God forbid what happens, you know, what, what something happens to me. And that led me with my health and fitness background to pursue just uh, more investigation and research. And again, the more I, I went down these rabbit holes of understanding, I uh, decided finally to turn into a book, which took years because I was stuck in research phase for quite a long time. <laughs> My friends would always say, how's the book coming along? And research is going great. How many pages have you written, Greg? Zero. <laughs> so it took me a while to actually get it into the paper uh, form. But um, yeah, and so it, the other question as far as, you know, what's the, some of the pillars of the book? I mean, I think uh, there's a reason for the name progress over perfection. I think that, um, you know, one of the, the major reasons that diets have failed us and I'm very anti diet because I just think that, um, the evidence has shown beyond, beyond any question that it, if you really look back that, uh, it's funny cause it's always a new diet. People are excited about, it. I don't want to crush anyone's hopes if they're on a new one now, but, if you look back after, you know, a year after someone stopped the diet, because diets can be very rigid. Diets are too, um, unless they allow for a lot of uh, you know, bio-individuality, they are going to fail. So they're very unnatural. And there was a great article in the New York Times by a neuroscientist talking about, like, why are we even saying the word diets? They're unnatural. They don't work. It's just marketing. I mean, the, the closest thing that I could advocate for a, a diet, it's not even called a diet, and that's the Mediterranean uh, diet, which is also known as lifestyle. Right. Well, I prefer to call it Mediterranean lifestyle, as do a lot of other wellness people. So, it's the whole, um, you know, the progress over perfection is just. We're, we're, the goal is sustainability. You know, want our clients in a year, two, five years to still be on a healthy journey, as opposed to what all the data shows with diets is that they may be great for three months, six months, even a year for some people, and they fall off them, and then often they gain the weight back or they start eat, you know, even um, reinstituting worse uh, uh, nutrition patterns or lifestyle patterns. So um, I'm just that these diets are really nothing more than um, a, a marketer's dream. And it, it's just the, the count every year, there'll just be another few that hit the radar and we look back while wow, that was a mistake. There's a big one coming, I'm not gonna say it by name. Mm -hmm. One now that a lot of people are getting excited about that's already the evidence you need a little time to, to bear out that are having all kinds of problems. I don't want to pick on 
any diets there. But um, yeah, of course, there's exceptions, and there are people who have experienced some uh, some success. I'd like to meet them if you're out there. Uh, you know, two years, three years after doing it, mm. um, because it's just hard to adhere to. So we try to make it simple, non-shaming, commonsensical, and something that works for where you're at in your life. Everyone is different, and the the core you know, focal points that we use are, you know, the kind of the five pillars of wellness, you know, and we, we have an acronym for that press. You and I have talked about, you know, and P for press would represent plant-based diet, doesn't yep. mean exclusively, and the R would be for relax, that's the mindfulness and, you know, checking in and slowing down, finding our whys, uh, getting off the hamster wheel. You know, the E in press is exercise, and the last two S's are for sleep and stress, because those are huge components where just about everybody I work with has a challenge with with one of those you know sleep was one thing I wrestled with for a long time not being a good you know I wouldn't get my seven eight hours needed and there's just a ton of really good research out there now we, we understand so much more about the importance of sleep um, as well as the challenges to getting that uh, and and stress arguably one of the, that it, the big silent killers out there uh, there's an overwhelming amount of stress out there. The good news is there's a lot of stress countering techniques we can do. Mm -hmm. You know, and I talk about the two different types of um, stress in my book. You know, there's distress and there's uh, eustress. And eustress is a good stress, that fight or flight. You know, we're in a burning building. We want to run. There's a stress associated with that that gets us to move. And the other kind of stress, distress, is the kind of become, can become chronic. And when it becomes chronic like that in our system, you know, our body produces a chemical called cortisol, and it's a very harmful chemical that can lead to a battery of problems. If it's not checked, we're going to all, again, I don't want to stress people out talking about stress. <laughs> we all have some, and it's going to be natural, and it's just good to be able to learn some of those breathing techniques or meditation or prayer, whatever technique works for you, um, to be very aware of accident. It doesn't have to take a lot of time. You know, it can be a few minutes a day for some people, five to 15 minutes. People have practice meditation, a lot of them swear by, you know, uh, 20 minutes a day. Um, and, and the benefits are just huge. And I think even more so in the society where we're so overly connected and wired all the time. Um, so it's something I think for most of us to take a look at. Yeah, yeah, that's really helpful. And a lot of people come to me and they say that they're so overwhelmed with so many things they have to do in a given day. Do you have any advice for someone who's trying to manage stress on the one hand, but also if they don't free up their schedule, they're not going to get that ability to unwind, de-stress, and then get enough sleep? So do, what would you say to someone if you had a client who came to you and you're helping them maybe with nutrition, but they also said, hey, Greg, I'm working a bazillion hours a day or I'm doing too much. What's the first step you take with that person to get them to get stuff off the calendar, unwind, create more space for their, themselves to handle and process that stress and then also approach sleep from a better place. I kind of do that in a twofold approach. You know, firstly, I kind of go back to checking with their whys. Why are they doing what they're doing? What's all this running around going to accomplish? What if it doesn't get done? Do you know, um, what, is the world going to fall apart if they're two hours late for, um, you know, getting that email back? It, you know, really kind of prioritizing some of the you can't misses, and it's so maybe okay to miss. And then often, I just had this happened with a client who's the CEO of an organization up in, in Connecticut, and um, it was just a straight up time management, you know, look. And he was just feeling overwhelmed by um, the people wanting his time, 
demanding of his time and even emails would stress him out. I yeah. said, you know what? You don't have to answer emails uh, every five minutes. Like who wrote the rule on that? I mean, the most successful executives I know. Crazy devices. Right? And, make, and we feel this obligation to have to. I said, it's okay to just check that twice a day. You know, a lot of people I know, super successful, once a day, they do emails. Once yeah. a day. Now, I wish I could be one of those. You know, I'm, I'm pretty good at limiting it. I'm down to a few times a day, but with exceptions. But it's when you're just constantly getting pulled. And so very often to get people out of that rut is to just kind of help them with some time, basic time management strategies. Yeah. And that allows them to, and in that you can incorporate like in someone's calendar should be X time for exercise, time to chill, you know, time to do that meditation class or that deep breathing exercise for five minutes. Sometimes if we don't write it down, you know, yeah, it's just, it doesn't, there's some great, simple, you know, breathing techniques and breathing exercises that are phenomenal. Yeah. Let me ask you a question going back to food because, so Sean Stevenson, he's one of these sleep experts and they asked him, uh, where does, how do you get a great night of sleep? And he says it actually starts like the night before or the morning of and setting yourself up with a, a healthy breakfast and exposure to sunlight. And he talks about really trying to get in front of that night. And I want to talk to you about getting in front of your meals, because when someone makes a decision to eat something unhealthy, it's usually because of, oh, they go to the fridge, right? And what's there? Or they're starving, and then they just go out and they get a slice of pizza. Or they wait to last minute. And I'm really curious if you have any thoughts, or I like to call them food hacks. Like sometimes in the morning, I'll chop up like carrots and celery and hummus and stuff, and I'll leave it out or I'll pre-prepare. I guess that's technically food prep. But do you have any sort of go-to things that you get in front of? So when it's time to make that I'm hungry decision, things are in good place. Such an important question, because again, we can talk all the dietary and nutritional theory we want. Yeah. You know, I can tell you how to cook, eat the best foods, but you know, to, who has the time to prepare 45 minute meals yeah. you know, five times a week? So yeah, that, that's such an important part of this and where a lot of nutritionists, I think, miss it. So some tips I have for people, you know, take a time on the weekend, right? To, this morning, I woke up early and cooked oatmeal for a week. Um, just, you know, steel cut oatmeal, prepare enough, preparing portions that it's just ready to go. Um, so all I got to do is stick it in the microwave or reheat it anyway. Um, you can do that with salads, make more than you need. Just keep it ready to go. Use Tupperware. It can be a best friend, you know, um, trying to rely a little less on the delivery option. Um, but if, you know, or finding delivery places that have healthy food is yes. really key, you know, identifying those places, but it's just a prep. And it's routine, you know, like just cooking more than you need to. When you have a healthy staple food, which hopefully becomes over the over a course of time a mainstay, you have the ability to um, make more than you just need for that one second. The access to food is so um, important. And if we are just surrounded by, I'm the same. If I see, you know, crap food all around me, I'm going to be eating it after a while. I can only go buy it so many times. So yeah. I try to minimize my exposure to that and I try to keep myself surrounded by the healthier foods. Yeah, no, that's, that's great advice all around. And I want to ask a question. It's a little debated in the uh, food industry, <laughs> um, not industry, I would say maybe the wellness industry is, uh, is fruit. And there's some people who say, oh, fruit is candy. 
avoid it like the plague. And then there are other people who say, you know, it, it can be healthy, avoid the higher sugar fruits, and, you know, it's better than processed sugars. Um, but, so, but fruit are obviously carbohydrates. And it's, I'm shocked at how few people actually know that. They're like, oh, I don't eat carbs. And they're like biting into an apple or a banana. <laughs> and it's like, I'm so, I'm curious just where, where do you shake out in this whole fruit debate? Well, so the fruit debate gets back to the whole carbs thing, right? And I think some of the misconceptions around carbs are that, that all carbs are bad. You know, there's basically two major types of carbs. There's the simple carbs. Those are the bad kinds that we get from the refined sugars and the refined flours and all the refined stuff. Right. But complex carbs are in vegetables and fruits and they're the healthy kind. So there are, there's a distinction, although in short, people just call them carbs. So it's true. There are carbs and fruits. Um, I think fruits like anything, I have not ever found anything that grows from the ground that's unhealthy mm. in moderation, right? right like maybe a mushroom out there that can kill us, right? Poisonous <laughs> mushroom, but anything that comes from the ground that's a food, for the most part, it's really meant to be eat. It's just how you have to be aware that when you eat a mango, you're getting a whole mango can contain, you know, I think it's something like 63 grams of sugar. It's a huge amount, you know? Yeah. Um, so some of us have to be a little more aware of that, but with fruits, because you're getting that, that fiber along with it and all of the, you know, so for the mango, for example, mango also has just one serving has all the vitamin C that we need for a day yeah. so in it. its purest form beats any pill of vitamin out there, right? That you're popping because you're not, our bodies don't process the, the vitamin the, the same way when it's in a pill form. So I think, um, you know, unless someone is getting into some of the diabetic areas with, that's a, another conversation, right? You have to be a little more aware of the, the fruit intake, but you know, fruit and moderation is nothing wrong with it. I mean, it's, it's just healthy. You're getting so many of the other good, good vitamins and minerals with it. Yeah. I, and I love how you say that it's grown from the ground. It's meant to be eaten. And it's yeah. like, you know, on the one hand, you, you rip something out of the ground, you clean it off and you eat it. How much healthier does that feel than you go to a store and you buy a box that has a hundred mixed things in it that you then eat that says no sugar on the outside? <laughs> and it's and got you know, when, you, grand, yeah. when you're lifting out of the ground, like you just described, I mean, with every day that a vegetable or fruit is picked and not consumed, the vitamin and mineral contact decreases slightly. Yeah, it's like when you boil food, when you cook food, you're cooking out a lot of those five. Again, not to get, we're going to cook our foods. We're not going to be able to, I don't want people to think they have to have a garden in their backyard. It's, it's great to be able to have that. Um, but just to, the more days that go by, that's a problem with a lot of the supermarket and the food supply now. Again, back to your earlier question about what's, what's the big cause here. The food supply now is so about shelf life. And so a lot of times the food that we're eating is by the time it gets to the supermarket, it's been picked three weeks ago. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, if you're getting fresh produce, fresh produce from Chile or Peru or Southern Mexico, just the time it takes to transport it, it's not coming on FedEx overnight airplanes, your avocados, which are pretty expensive. So yeah, you're right. And that's, that actually ties in with the Japanese philosophy that some chefs have related to sushi which is you want from the fish swimming to you eating that piece of fish to be as short of a window as possible in terms of more from a taste perspective, but also probably from getting the, the health benefits from it. It's a really good metaphor, actually. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, because I know in, in uh, a couple of friends who do some, some serious fishing and, and once in a while they'll try to bag that tuna and they'll sell it for you know, 15,000, but it's all about 
packing it right away, getting it on ice. It, it's the preserving that freshness of the fish from hook right onto ice as quickly as possible. When we're paying for the most expensive sushi in the world, it comes down to freshness. That is a direct differentiator, you know, between the finest sushi restaurants and, and the ones uh, less so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, we've been talking a lot about food, obviously, in an area of huge expertise for you. But from getting to know you, it seems like you have a very good handle on just kind of living a holistic life that includes happiness. And you, you mentioned, um, or I mentioned reading your bio, involvement with uh, a substance abuse uh, volunteer program or sitting on the board of an organization that does that. And I know that you've been through different things with relationships. And I was curious if you had any advice um, I'm, I'm now going through certification as a relationship coach and uh, learning a lot in that area. And I was curious if we could, and I know they're related, right? Like eating healthy and then having healthy relationships or not having addiction is probably connected in strong ways. But I am curious to the extent you're willing to open up personally, or if you want to just share kind of high level things that you've learned about going on this journey of life and your relationships along the way. Yeah, I mean, I learned um, there is a connection between our relationships and our, our wellness journey. Um, if we're miserable, depressed uh, because of a suffering relationship, yeah, that's going to manifest itself sometimes in, in less healthy. And there are, again, it's when we want to kind of use that counterbalance of um, finding ways to take. I know when I've been down, let's say, or in a bad place in a relationship, when I feel like I can take a little bit better care of myself. And that doesn't mean from a, a selfish perspective, just to give myself that extra energy, you know, when you're feeling sluggish or a little down because you're, you know, you're sad. Um, and again, even one thing I have learned, you know, sadness is, can be very healthy. You know, there's a big difference between sadness and, and chronic depression. You know, too much sadness obviously can lead to depression, but nothing wrong with, um, I think sadness can be very, um, unveiling of you know taking a look at ourselves and those areas we can work on and i'd say for my relationships the, the best takeaways i've had were just um rather than putting the focus on what the other person did to us or they didn't work out what did i do what would i contribute what can i learn how can i be a, a better person next time out of the gate you know i was recently remarried um and came from a marriage of 12 years and there were a lot of things i i didn't do well um and you know i, I easy to put the blame on my former spouse, but uh, there's a lot of things I took away that hmm, I want this to be different. I was intentional about um, setting a foundation as was my wife of a relationship that's really gonna work. What are some of the healthy attributes we want? What, what's, a, what's success in a marriage look like? And sort of kind of looking at it from that vantage point. Mm, yeah, that, and that's the book that you recommended to me, which I recently finished by uh, Lauren Handel. Maybe about, it's, yeah, it's called Maybe It's You, Cut the Crap, and essentially own up for your own aspect of it. And it, it sounds like in, in your previous relationship, there was a lot of issues, a lot of issues brought to the table by your former spouse. But what, I'm curious, what were the biggest uh, learning opportunities that you can bring into your new marriage that can help you um, create uh, a more magical relationship? I think being more sensitive and being a better listener. Um, What'd you say? I'm just kidding. Being, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> huh? uh, so, you know, just being, um, not trying to be a fixer. One, one problem I used to have was, and I, I kind of came from a good place, you know, um, wanting to try to fix someone when I saw them in, in, in a state that was 
you know, if they were unhappy about something and learn to let that play out organically. We're all, again, so different there. Some people um, like myself have those tendencies to, to want to fix and, and problem solve. And sometimes people want to sit in that and that's good. And not to letting people kind of go through it on their own or asking them if they like support rather than just giving them the support. Um, I think certainly, you know, more and more people these days just need a hug. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people out there going through um, all kinds of, all kinds of rough stuff, you know, challenges. And so it's not about not supporting, but just kind of checking in with the person on their terms and um, really listening more and, and talking less. So funny you say that. And Greg, I, I know you don't need the money, but I have a new revenue stream opportunity for you because on my last podcast episode, right before this one, uh, I recorded it last week with a guy named Mike Goldstein. He goes by the easy dating coach, easy. And I, and his story, I mean, he's like, his expertise now is online dating, mostly for women. And he's got like an 80 something percent success rate. He's been on TV a bunch of times. And this guy is like literally the dating guru. And his story was he was in a relationship in his 20s. Uh, he thought it was all great. And then he wakes up one day and catches his girlfriend cheating with his best friend. And I said, whoa, what happened? And, and I said from a place of like, obviously, that's a huge error in judgment that she made to not just leave the relationship, but to put her fault aside and say, what did you do to probably drive her to do this or what was your role in this and he said um it was him uh always she whenever she would talk he would be like you have to do this or you have to do that and he was the thing like he literally verbatim said what you just said in terms of giving the best relationship advice of learning how to listen and learning how to just be empathetic and compassionate and hear them and let them express their needs rather than be like the fixer or the problem solver because very often I find that in my life, I'm looking for someone who can just hear me out. Like, I know that I'm in the wrong, or I know I need what I need to do. I just need someone to let me vent and then be like, all right, fine, I'll call them back and apologize, or like, whatever the heck I have to do. Sometimes, just need that unbiased sounding board, right? Exactly. So it's, it's really funny you say that, because who knows, maybe there's some opportunity to be a little bit of a relationship guru here with your new marriage and that advice, but it, that's really funny. Um, so what, I mean, you know, we've been on for a bit now. I, I want to get to where people can find you. I posted the link to the, your book already, but what, what else are we missing? What else is in progress over perfection that we didn't touch upon? Um, I think, you know, we, we just break down those pillars a little more thoroughly, you know, the delve into the nutrition and the exercise and give practical tips of what we can, you know, what someone can do even for exercise. Yeah. Many different exercises I may not have thought of. You know, I did a, a boxing club there in New York for uh, because it was a personal. I, I was so sick of just a, a, a standard gym workout, and I had a lot of fun. I was introduced to the boxing workout and just loved it. I'm like, wow, that's something I could get into and get fired up to going rather than the, at the time I was just experiencing the drudgery of going into a gym. I'm like, if I have to lift one more barbell, I'm going to strangle myself. Um, so you know, different kinds of, you know, there's all kinds of different workouts that, that are out there now beyond the conventional. And so trying to give those just practical tips and, um, examples of, of food that are, that are really good. So I think, you know, one thing to, um, you know, take away from the book is, you know, again, back to your, your poster behind you, it's the execution. Okay. What can, here's the knowledge. I tried to give very practical tips of what one can do to start embarking on that journey. 
and making mm-hmm. it very simple to understand. Yeah, and and you know, in, for execution, I find that surrounding yourself with the right types of people can be very helpful. For example, if you were my best friend and we had lunch together every day, I'm sure. I mean, I'm eating healthy now, and I'm on my own wellness journal journey. But like, if we were having lunch every day, if I was hanging out with you, and then my friend Jordan, this guy, he used to play on the Oakland Athletics baseball team, and every morning I would go on Instagram, and he's got like peeling sweet potatoes and he's cutting avocados and he's got his like ginger turmeric tea and i'm just like if i let's say i lived with him he was a roommate like think about how even more i would be in that right direction so how do you take someone who says to you hey greg i work in this corporate office and like even and this is another question i wanted to ask you too kind of about like stigmas and drinking and eating unhealthy because when i uh, quit i cut out probably like 95 percent alcohol I rarely drink. I try to eat healthy all the time. So like I'll go into a restaurant and I'll say, okay, I'll have the burger, um, but I want it cooked this way. Like, do you want cheese? No. Do you want bacon? No. Can you hold the mayo? Can I have the salad instead of the fries? And like a hundred people are looking at me like I'm the devil. <laughs> and it's like, oh, just like shut up and eat the burger. And it's like, I'm, I'm curious on your wellness journey. I guess you probably are surrounded by these people who get it and don't question you for it. But I do still occasionally find myself in these situations where I may feel uncomfortable, like ordering or not drinking or eating certain things. Yeah, I've had that. I mean, actually, when we started with my kids, they weren't too thrilled to all of a sudden go from white pasta to brown rice pasta at Trader Joe's. You know, I mean, it was uh, definitely got some, um, you know, a little feedback from them that wasn't always so encouraging. Uh, <laughs> and then I hadn't really experienced it too much as far as feeling kind of self-conscious. I think I, maybe I was in other parts of the country, you know, maybe down south or uh, maybe situations like that where, you know, or I'm at a, you know, a party where it's, you know, Super Bowl party and everyone's eating wings and drinking beer and, you know, I'm just asking for more celery sticks. But mm-hmm. I, I, I don't do that with, um, and again, I'll let myself go in some of those, but I'll have a few wings. You know, I'm not one of those that's a all or nothing type of person. Um, but, yeah, so I, I, funny enough, I didn't, I guess I was pretty lucky. Well, when I really embarked on the journey, I was single. Um, I was a single father at the time. So I had a little more control over my space. I was an entrepreneur um, that allowed me to sort of kind of, uh, I was, you know, the president of a company. So I was able to set the tone there. So I probably didn't experience that. And, and uh, But I would encourage people, because I know what that's like. And I've seen that with a lot of clients where, yeah, they're just surrounded by, it's like, you know, someone who struggled with alcoholism and, you know, determined to, uh, you know, kick that and get sober and then all of a sudden, but their other buddies are just drinking all the time. It makes it very challenging. You know, they just kick the habit and every time they go out, everyone's slugging it back. And sometimes they'll recommend for the, the alcoholic or the addict, you know, you may have to choose some new friends if you want to get over this. And I wouldn't go as far with that with, you know, in wellness, but sometimes, hey, being open with a friend. Um, hey, can you support me as I'm trying to make some better decisions? And, you know, depending on your, you know, the level of comfort you have with that particular friend or, or sometimes easier with a family member, asking for that support, you know, but if, it's certainly going to be a lot easier if you have people around you that are, are more supportive. They don't have to walk your walk and that's okay. You know, we don't want to push our, our own ways down people's throats or, you know, proselytize that. And very often what happens, I found, is that by watching us um, and how we feel better and bring more energy, that will bring people 
that, that curiosity. Hey, geez, you seem to have more energy. What are you doing? They'll, they'll, it'll invite conversation. So just by, you know, walking that walk and without, you know, putting a, a, a banner on your forehead, um, it kind of happens more organically that way. So funny you said that. Um, I, I think it was like a year ago, I got this email from uh, an influencer that I follow and he challenged all of his listeners to do something called no bomb or knob nom. It was like no booze, no booze or masturbation 30 days or no pornography, no pornography. And, um, and so I was like, that's cool. It sounds really healthy. Like, let me try it. And I was like telling everyone about it. And then um, I, so I was at some party and I told them, uh, I that I was doing this and this guy comes over to me he's like you you're not looking at pornography you're not a real man and he like stormed off and I was like what an idiot and then he came back to me like he wrote me um, an email because uh, you know I do coaching and he told me that he had an addiction and it was a problem and he asked for help and resources and so one thing that I found is the people who don't accept us on our journeys whether it's food or alcohol or exercise or whatever on some level probably want to do what we're doing, but are afraid to embark on that journey themselves. So maybe trying to like hold you back from doing it or feel threatened or jealous and to come from a place of compassion and understanding rather than like, why the heck won't they accept me has helped me a lot to not only continue my path, but also potentially extend an olive branch instead of an arrow and say, Hey, you know, we don't have to talk about this openly with other people, but maybe I could share some things that have helped you again, not prophesizing, but if they come to us as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that, you know, because I think a lot of people, I think we just, as people, naturally point out in others their faults that we see in ourselves, just more subconsciously. It, it's, those are the triggers for us when we, um, you know, it's like a person who's cheating on his girlfriend that'll call out his buddy on cheat, you know. <laughs> you see that sometimes, just where it's, whatever, they're feeling that sense of shame, a sense of shame that, is that trigger very often yeah. um, to, to behavior. So yeah, we can recognize that stuff and others very often before ourselves. Yeah, yeah. So I wanna ask you one more question and it's uh, because the context is a lot of my listeners and a big portion of my audience are either entrepreneurs or coaches or they have some kind of service-based offering that they're looking to scale. And having met you and seen your network your confidence, your experience working in finance in New York City, the Harvard, um, and, and just some of the people that you've mentioned that you're in touch with and now having clients in your own business. Um, I'm really curious your thoughts on how you've positioned yourself as a networker and, and someone who is able to obtain high ticket clients. Because a lot of people who are in my programs are embarking on this amazing journey of whether it's becoming a nutrition coach or a wellness expert or an addiction counselor or a life coach or anything like that, a lot of what I'm helping them with is getting clients. And I'm curious how you've been able to position yourself to be able to do so and how they could maybe take some action on that as well. And I haven't always done a good job of it and I've learned, I've learned the hard way. And again, the third and last time I'll reference the poster behind you, it, it really comes down to just having a plan and executing on it. Um, and so much of it is the discipline, whether it's the networking, going to the events, having a plan when you go there. there are, I met a woman on, on Friday at a, at a lunch that my friend had set up, an insurance executive, and just a master networker. Like she has events and she has a plan from before, during, after. It's just not by accident. She's not there just to mingle and meet. She knows what she's going to do. She has a strategy. 
Um, and I think for all the coaches and entrepreneurs out there, it's really identifying what that strategy is that's going to bring you those extra clients and then having a discipline to execute. It just comes down to you got to swing the bat. And I think a lot of people I've seen, it was like me with writing the book. I wasn't swinging. I was just doing all this research. I wasn't putting pen to paper, you know, key, you know, fingers to keys and book wasn't getting written. I had to, one day I just, the light bulb went off and I said, you know, I'm going to every day and get up at five 30, I'm going to write for an hour, whether, you know, two sentences get written or, or two pages, I'm going to write for an hour. And that's exactly what happened. That was the advice of a, of another published author, author, well-known guy. And I said, Hey, work for him. I may as well do that. So, so much of it really comes down to um, what you, if you believe in your service and what you're offering, providing, executing on that strategy. And I think everyone can do a better job at that. So don't knock, your, don't kill yourself if you're not. Um, but it's really comes down to just the doing it on a daily basis, the practice of it. You'll get good at it the more you do it. And then it feels good as you uh, attain success from it. Mm. Reminds me of when I started my business and I was spent like you spending all my time researching the actual business and very little time actually executing on it. And I read a quote that said, um, you're probably spending 80 of your time researching and 20% of your time doing and research is important. So just flip it, do 80% execution and 20% research. And I was just sitting there reading. I would create, I spend my whole day researching the perfect articles and books on how to start your own online business or how to start a podcast or how to build a website. And then I would print them all out and then I'd go home and then my evening activity would be to read all of them. But during the day and at night, I wasn't doing anything. It's like, you know, and then you have this guy, I met this guy like Ricky and we connected through a Facebook group and he was like, he was just like writing blog posts and like sharing affiliate links for products and like putting up income reports. And he's like, I made a thousand dollars this month, made 4,000 the next month, then 10,000. And I was like, what do you do? Like, I was like, he, I'm not like, like he's not smarter than me. He's not doing anything. I don't know. He's just actually doing it. Yeah. And I was like, wow. And that's why I got this guy up here as a reminder. Yeah. It's that simple, right? So, well, anyway, this has been an absolute pleasure, a, a selfish possible, like amazing experience for me to get all these great answers from you. I, I've learned a ton. I know that, I mean, you should see the Facebook group. It's blowing up right now. Kevin, Annika, Blake, Kim, we got people watching this live. I'm going to put this up on my podcast. The book link is here, but for those who aren't in my Facebook group for the podcast listeners, for everyone on my Instagram, where can people find you, Greg? Best place is probably my, my website, gregcroberts.com. Mm -hmm. And that's G-R-E-G-G-C roberts.com um and the corporate the, the workplace wellness site is the simple wisdom.com you can also find me there that's the company we work with uh, companies between 50 and a thousand people to help improve health outcomes for all the employees in the organization um, but those are probably the two best uh best ways to find me Perfect. Well, I have those links in the group. I'm going to put them in the show notes for everyone. And Greg, thank you again so much for coming on the show. Hey, thanks, Brandon, for having me. It's a pleasure.